Good morning. Great to see you folks. Great to be here with you. Great seeing guests and visitors with us this morning. This morning is going to be a little different than, than normal for us. It's what I'm calling family time. It's a time that I like to take at least once every 10 years or so. Uh, and uh, just share my testimony with you uh, so that you know, because there's, there's new folks here that in the last decade that haven't heard it, and the people who heard it 10 years ago, you forgot it. And so uh, you, you didn't forget? Okay, good. Um, but anyway, I gave you an outline here as well. And as, as you think about, I'm going to get to my testimony in a minute. I'm going to preach a little bit before I get there. But uh, I was just thinking, this, this outline is, is good for anybody. You, you use it. Life before conversion, life in conversion, life after conversion. Okay, three points. And... Um, Kids, ask your, your mom and dad, say, to, you can do it today, you can do it this week sometimes, say, you know, I don't know your story. Tell me about your life before you met Christ, how you met Christ, and what's made the difference. Uh, there's your outline. All of you, you, you may be dating somebody right now, say, you know, I don't really know your story. Here's your outline. Tell me your life. How you, what were you like before Christ? How did you come to know Christ? What's been the difference? Those are the three things you're looking for. Share that with one another. Share that with your spouse. Do you know your spouse's story? Do you know your parents' story? Do you know your kid's story? Uh, so this should not be unique to me. Uh, I want you as a congregation to know my story because three things that I found, I, it's like for the longest time I didn't want to share my story. Then I realized, number one, you're commanded to know it. And there's benefit from knowing. You're not only commanded to know my story, you're commanded to know it and imitate it. Number two, you're to examine it for its authenticity and encourage you to do that. You ex to examine all of your leaders to make sure they have an authentic witness and faith in Christ. And number three, it's for your benefit. God says he's going to increase your fellowship and your joy by knowing this story. So when you, when you stop to think about that, it's pretty cool. It's, it's, it's a growth builder uh, for all of us. I'm going to start with Psalm 16. It keeps coming back to me as one of my favorite psalms. I just love every part of this. But if I spend too long there, I'll end up preaching Psalm 16. But let, let's just start with verse 2. Psalm 16, verse 2 says, I said to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good beside you. I've often thought, what would it be like to live a year where I had no good beside the Lord? I said to the Lord, you're my Lord. I have no good besides you. I want us to think about he who makes us good and he who is good. It reminded me of three boys out trying to outdo one another. You know, one of them said to the others, he says, well, my uncle is a chef. Because he's a chef, I can eat anything I want, anytime I want. I can be fat and happy for nothing. Kids thought about that a minute. And the next guy said, well, big deal. My dad's a, a doctor, so I can be sick for nothing. And then the third one said, you don't have nothing on me. My dad's a preacher, so... I can be good for nothing. Yeah. 
Well, I didn't know when I was born that I was born to be a preacher. But I did know that I was born to be good. And if you, it was not only expected you would be good in our family, it was inspected that you be good. And if you were not good, you met the wrath of a 38-inch leather belt. I knew I was born to be good, and I had to be good. But I didn't realize until I was 16 and a half years old that I was literally being good for nothing. It really wasn't getting me where I want to be. And I want to tell you that story. Before I do, let me tell you the three reasons again, give you the scripture, why you need to know this. Number one, you're commanded. Look at Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews 13, verses 7 and 8. Hebrews 13, beginning at verse 7, says, Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, that's me. You're supposed to remember me. I'm leading you. I'm speaking the word of God to you. You're supposed to consider the result of my conduct and imitate my faith. That's a command given to you. And then it gives you a context there. Verse 8, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's like you're going to see Jesus Christ do things in certain people. And it's, it's, it's consistent. It's always the same. Christ is always the same. He's doing this work. Now, when I saw the word remembered, I, I thought, well, maybe you don't have to do this until I'm dead and gone, right? Remember seems to be something you do after somebody's been here. But So you don't have to kill me. I just want you to know verse 17, verse 24. It seems like the leaders are alive. Verse 17, obey your leaders and submit to them. That's something you do while they're still living. They keep watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them not do this let them do this with joy, not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. And then verse 24, greet all of your leaders and all of the saints, uh, those from Italy greet you. So he's talking about leaders, the same leaders in verse 7. He says, remember those who led you, even though it's in the past tense. Uh, he's basically saying, consider the faith that's being demonstrated um, day in and day out and learn from it. Grow from it. Uh, like the songs we're singing, my boast is in the Lord. I, as I prayed coming up here, as God, I need to tell my story, but don't let them see me. Let them see you. Let them see Jesus is the one who's changed me. Jesus is the one who's the same yesterday, today, and forever. You need to see this faith in Christ that was given to me to give to you. And I want you to see that. God wants you to see that. Um, and... You can, you know, I'm not dead and gone. I'm still among you. But you can look back over 30 years, some of you here, and you can see faith in Christ given to you week after week. Um, I'm excited about where we're going. I'm excited about the, uh, the next 10 years at New Covenant Church because they're going to be exciting and growing years how God is 
created such a wonderful church here among us um, and where that's going to take us from here is pretty exciting. Um, and I'm, uh, I'm, I'm excited to be a part of it and share that with you. But just think through the last 30 years of faith demonstrated in Christ. Think through week after week of sermons. Think through the number of people who've been healed that we've prayed for and we've seen them healed. Think through the hundreds of people who've gotten saved. The, 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 the people in this church whose families have really bought into covenant theology who worship the Lord in, at home and are here every week worshiping. We see that it's rare for them to grow up a kid here and not come to faith in Christ. That's, that's rare anywhere. And to see that over and over, is that not Christ at work? And one of the most significant things, the most significant thing, I want you to remember about me. If you look and examine my faith, look at the over 2,000 worship services planned where you see me bouncing around, clapping, raising my hands, singing, loving Jesus. The number one thing you should know about me is I love Jesus. And I love being in the family of God, worshiping Jesus. I love singing to Jesus. I love praying to Jesus. I love hearing from Jesus. And if you know anything about me, you know I get more animated about Jesus than anything else in life. That's who I am. That's what I believe in is Jesus. I mean, I can be silent like a knot on a log until you, you bring up Jesus, and I, I want in. I want to talk to you about Jesus. I want to spend my life with Jesus. See that faith, God says. Learn from that. Imitate that. See the most significant thing in life. Well, that's number one. Number two, let us, we need to examine. I need to put myself under the examination of you and the examination of others. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians 11. Beginning at verse 12. Paul's talking, he says, 2 Corinthians 11, verse 12, But what I, am, what I am doing, I will continue to do, so that I may cut off opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the matter about which they are boasting. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end will be according to their deeds. And also look over a couple chapters, chapter 13, verse 5 and 6. Test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. Do you not recognize this about yourself, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail the test? But I trust that you will realize that we ourselves did not fail the test. So there's the Apostle Paul saying, you can examine me. I hope you're going to see through your examination that I don't fail the test. Now go back 
to chapter 12, verse, excuse me, chapter 11, verse 12, what am I doing? He says, I'm trying to cut off opportunity for other people who are trying to lead and teach you. From the first weeks that I took this job as pastor of New Covenant Church, people have wanted my job. And it happens every year. People want my job. And I don't mean sometimes they have physically wanted the job. But that's not the primary way a lot of people have wanted my job. A lot of people want the power and influence that comes with the position of pastor so that they can lead and teach other people according to their preferences. They want to gain that following. And that's what Paul is dealing with. He says, he says there are people who want to influence you. He says, he said, I have kept the job to cut off the opportunity for them to lead you. Because if I had let them lead you, they would have led you somewhere wrongly. It's important, I think, that when you get true pastors, that they, they stay in a place so that you can examine their faith. You can see that it's genuine, it's authentic. And then those people can cut off the other people who want to lead you wrongly. And Paul says here, he says, they're people, they come in, he says, they're false apostles, they're deceitful workers, they disguise themselves. No wonder. He says, you don't recognize them, they are among you, you don't even recognize them because they are disguised as angels. You think they're the best thing since sliced bread, and you so easily will follow them. But they are hosts of Satan. Now, this is hard for a lot of people to get, but I, this, is, this is the real world. This is the real church. And it's just real easy. And I, I, as I've gotten older, I don't mind being bolder, I guess. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's always hard in this American culture. We want to be so inclusive of everybody. We want to even include the wolves among the sheep. And we have a hard time name-calling and saying this person's a false teacher. It's real easy for us to take pot shots at somebody like Joel Olstein or even Perry Noble. He's all over Facebook right now, people taking pot shots because of things happening in their lives and saying false teacher, false teacher, false. It's, it's, it's just easy to shoot at those folks. I'm not interested in doing that. I want us to think about us folks, our folks, because we have had over our history a number of false teachers and prophets that have, have risen up, like I said, to take this job, to take the power and take the influence. And we've got to get sharp and smart at examining that. You must examine your leaders. You must determine whether they pass the test of genuine, authentic faith. Look at Acts chapter 20. Uh, here Paul was talking to the Ephesian elders saying, you got to stay on top of this and examine this all the time. Uh, Acts chapter 20. Let me read it to you. Verse, beginning at verse 30. Paul, speaking to the, the elders there, says, And from among your own selves men will arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore be on the alert, 
Remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one of you with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among those who are sanctified. Now Paul says here, he's talking to the Ephesians, but we were looking at him talking to the, uh, those in Corinth. Uh, both times he says, there are going to be people who are among you that rise up and they want to lead you. And Paul says, I know as soon as I leave, people have been wanting my job. He said, they're going to take it and they're going to lead you and they're going to lead you astray. Don't let that happen. There are people who always want to lead and lead the church contrary to the word of God. Paul says, I'm going to commend to you this, the word of God. Grace. How can you examine and see, especially in times of controversy? And there's always controversy. You can bring up your own controversy to see how a leader will respond. Just, just bring up something controversial like, I don't think David should dress like that. It's controversy. Some people can say, no, I love He's cool. Other people say, yeah, you're right. He's disrespectful. So you got a controversy. What are your leaders going to do? We have those kind of controversies all the time. I don't think we should have sung that song. I don't think we should address that way. I don't think we should have alcohol at the Lord's Supper. I mean, just controversy after controversy can come up. What will the true leader do? He will commend to you the word of grace. He will give you the word of God. This is why and when we should do what we do because the Bible says. He commends. The, the false teacher frequently says, you're exactly right. We need to influence people this way and this way because I think this is what we should do. And it comes to a personal power and influence. Then you quit seeing Jesus and you start seeing people. And we've had, we've had people rise. We've had elders. We've had deacons. We've had leaders. We've had people on staff. We've had people in the congregation that you, if you've been around, you've seen them come up, try to lead and influence and take us contrary to the scriptures. And they've led others astray. And we look at them now today, even uh, a number on, in social media, and say, these people are so far from the Lord. And they were once our leaders. You know, how did this happen? So that's what I said. You don't have to take pot shots at somebody else. It happens in every local church so examine your leaders imitate those who are genuine in the faith imitate their faith and then the third thing as you do this realize it's going to increase your joy and your fellowship look with me at first john chapter one. First john chapter one what a tremendous benefit who doesn't need more joy who doesn't need more fellowship and this is, this is what happens as we share our faith story. 1 John chapter 1, beginning at verse 2, he says, And the life was manifested, this life is the life of Christ, was manifested, and we've seen and we testify and we proclaim to you the eternal life which is with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also so that you too may have fellowship with us and indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write so that our joy may be made complete. What's John saying there? He said, what I'm talking to you about is Jesus was manifested to me. 
my relationship with Jesus, that's all I'm sharing. I'm just sharing that relationship that I have with Christ. As a result of that, that gives you more fellowship with me because you find that we're brothers and sisters in Christ. It gives you more fellowship with the Heavenly Father because He's the one who's changed me uh, through Christ. So you've got more fellowship vertically, horizontally, and it completes a joy. You get a, 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 a spiritual, internal joy in knowing this that you can't get any other way. So what a benefit. So I say, you know, use the outline and ask not only me, but ask others, tell me your story. Because in telling that story of your life before Christ, your life in Christ, your life after, after Christ has been working on your while, you tell me a story I'm going to have greater fellowship with you. I'm going to have greater joy. You're going to have it too. It just It's a tremendous benefit that God promises to give to us as we share this story with others. Like I said, I'm excited about the, the next 10 years of, of growth here at the church, and I'm excited about hearing more and more and more stories of faith in Christ. Well, let me tell you my story, life before conversion. I was... Uh, Born in North Augusta, South Carolina. How many knew that? See, a lot. Only a third of you knew that. See, new stuff. I, I was born in North Augusta. I hate that my birth certificate is Augusta. I just don't really associate with Georgia. But if you know where North Augusta is, you know you can see the hospital in Augusta from North Augusta. You know, you just have to go across the Savannah River, and there you are. That's where all the good hospitals are. But So I was born in Augusta Hospital, but my address was North Augusta. I've always been in South Carolina. Yes, that's the promised land. Uh, but uh, lived the first two years in North Augusta. Then my parents moved to Greenville, and Greenville was where I was raised. Um, spent most of my days there. Uh, we grew up in church in my family because my parents were Christians by the time I was born. They always had us in church every Sunday. I don't know anything but going to church on Sunday. I don't know anything but tithing. I knew, I knew the day I got saved, I knew I needed to be given to the Lord. It needed to be gratitude and worship to Him. I learned that from the earliest age, that this is what you do. But there was a problem. Our, our church obscured the gospel. The message at our church where I grew up was basically this, being good is going to help you out in life, so you need to be good. God will help you be good, so be good and trust God to help you be good, and you'll be blessed. It's basically, God will help those who help themselves, and you'll help yourself if you help yourself to be good. So that's what I did. I, I wanted to be a good person. I wanted to be on God's side, God's team. I wanted to go to heaven. Bad people went to hell. Good people went to heaven. I needed to be, wanted to be, was taught to be good. And that was the message. It did never occur to me that good people might go to hell. That was just was unfathomable. Never believed that that could even be possible. Never was taught that Christ died for sinners. Christ is here to help good people be better people. So I tried my best to be good. I was as good as I could be. 
constantly trying, striving to be good. I became very popular with the church staff. I became uh, a Bible teacher. Uh, I was uh, leading the youth group, leading youth retreats, captain of the basketball team, all of those things that made you popular and cool with the church folks. I was good. But it's interesting, you can have popularity and you can have pleasure and still not have peace. In my quiet times in my room, there was a lot of loneliness. There was a lot of tears. There was a lot of lack of peace. Like, this just doesn't seem like that. it's enough. I, I'm good, but I'm never quite good enough. And so I, trying to be good for, for a long time, and I said, you know, seems like some of the bad kids are having fun. Maybe I should just try, maybe just try every now and then, just be bad and see if that gave my life more significance. So I tried being bad just a little bit. My parents will have to tell you about that. You know, I'm not going to tell you that stuff. But one thing I learned from being bad when I tried it, I was just trying bad to find myself, to see if bad would help. And one of the things I learned, it took me a while to learn this, actually four things. I found out every time I was bad, and by bad I'm talking now, every time I sinned, every time I was bad, it gave me four things. Now, some of you might not have learned this yet, so I'll share it with you. I think it would be good to know that every time you're bad, you're going to get four things. These are the four things I get, even to this day, every time I am bad. Number one, I get pain in my relationships. Number two, I get guilt in my conscience. Number three, I get dishonor in my reputation. And number four, I get misery in my living. Don't you think that'd be important to know that? Because I don't want any one of those four things. Growing up, God finally began to teach me, David, why are you trying to be bad? That doesn't work for you. That's, That's not a winning combination. If you haven't learned that yet, you might want to write it down. You know, every time you choose to be bad, you have a choice. You're going to get pain in your relationships, pain between if you offend somebody else because you're bad, it's going to create pain. You're always in a relationship. You're in a relationship with God, whether you realize it or not. If you're offending Him, there's pain in relationships. You get guilt in your conscience. God's made us with a, with a conscience that gets bothered. So now you've got to wrestle with that guilt. You get dishonor in your reputation. Now people won't trust you the way they did trust you because they've seen you mess up. And you get just general misery. It doesn't produce long-term good effects. So try being good, try being bad, and then I just realized... You know, I'm getting burned out on both. This just doesn't work for me. So I was burned out when the church came to me in 1974 and said, we want you to go to a a missions conference as our representative. I said, no way. I said, I'm tired of being the church kid. You know, I'm burned out. And they said, no, 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 you're the right person. We want you to go. I said, no, I'm not interested anymore. I'm just, I'm ready to just to walk away from church and everything. And so they came back to me and said, they tempted me. All sorts of sinful stuff, you know? The church said, look, we want you to go to this conference because there will be a lot of hiking trails. We know you like that. There's going to be swimming. There's going to be kayaking. There's going to be rafting. There's going to be pretty girls. Why did they tell me that? 
You know, and there's going to be lots of food and lots of fellowship. And tell you what, we're going to pay your way 100% to go. <laughs> okay, I guess I'll go one more thing. So I took off to this uh, conference at Lake Genaluska, North Carolina, where you were supposed to learn how to be a missionary in your church. And that was the last thing I wanted to learn how to do. But I liked all those things they were tempting me with. And uh, so I jumped in, and I was at that conference. At that conference, it's a lot like you, you kids that went to RYM just a few weeks ago. It was a conference like that because they didn't play around with little uh, fellowship groups. They had preaching of the Word of God at this conference. And this was the first time I had ever had or heard anybody open the Bible and start explaining what the Scripture said. And as the preacher preached at this conference, I heard just, you know, the Holy Spirit began to work in my life, saying, the preacher started in Romans saying, God died, Christ came and died for the ungodly. I said, well, that's not me, I'm good. He says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I said, well, I guess Christ didn't die for me because I'm not a sinner. You know, I'm good. That's what I had been taught. And then he said, he says, all of us are helpless. None of us seek after God. None of us search for God. None of us have any good within us. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God and have sinned. And I said, whoa. Never heard that. And I begin to realize good people are going to hell because they think they already have what they need to be saved. And yet we've been de deceived by false teachers who have disguised the truth from us. That we are helpless and without faith, without grace, without Christ in our lives, we're hopeless. And that's who I was. And I began to realize as I examined people around me, there were people around me that literally had a genuine faith I'd never seen before. I began to see that and began to hunger for that and thirst for that. And then, you know, just I could still remember the night when God said, you need to understand what it means to say, oh Lord, you are my Lord. And I have no good besides you. That's what I cried out that night. Lord, I, wanna, I want you as my Lord. What had happened to me was the Holy Spirit had begun working in me and gave me eyes to see what I'd never seen before, that I was a sinner, I was lost, I was going to hell, I was apart from Christ, I was apart from hope. That I needed Christ who died for sinners to die for me. I, I had thought the good I was doing was commending myself to heaven. But then I began to realize that night my baptism was not saving me. My Bible teaching was not saving me. My good works were not saving me. My church attendance was not saving me. My giving was not saving me. My fellowship was not saving me. My moral attainments, no matter how high or how attractive, was not saving me. There was nothing in me commending myself to a righteous God and would keep his righteous and holy anger from being poured out upon me. What I needed was a righteousness that was not my own to be given to me so that I would appear before heaven's court as right and holy. And that's the good news. Christ says, let me give you that to you.
Let me exchange my life for your life. That you can go free. Hallelujah. Christ came into me and gave me not only himself, but his righteous record. His goodness. His holiness. So he, he renewed my, my mind. He regenerated my soul. He gave me the gift of faith, which you can examine. He gave me the gift of repentance, which enables me to turn from sin, to receive him, and to embrace him as my Lord and my good. From that moment, everything changed. Uh, Some man, I don't know, as I was leaving the conference and was getting in the car, he says, you're different. I said, yes, sir, I am. He said, I can see it. Jesus has changed my life. He said, let me give you three things to do. I said, okay, because nobody had given me any counsel or, or words. He said, I want you to do three things for me. He says, always get into the Bible and read it. I said, I don't have a Bible. He said, well, you go get you one. Find one. So get a Bible and read it. Read it every day. He says, and pray every day. And commit yourself, thirdly, to the church and its growth and its well-being. Now, those three things have been good for me all of my life. The first thing I did when I got back to Greenville was go to the mall, Greenville Mall, and buy a Bible and begin reading it and seeing stuff I had never seen because it wasn't being expounded where I was. And begin praying every day and begin seeing that Christ died for the church and he loves the church and he builds the church. And if that's what he cares about, I needed to learn to care about the things he cares about. And getting plugged in there. I'll add a fourth thing that I think is important too. This is what I commit my life to. is God's word, prayer, um, the church. And then fourth, the sacraments of the church. Uh, all, of the, all four of those are mentioned in Acts 2.42. The instructions Peter gave the people who got saved. He says, these are the, th- these are the four things you do now that you're saved. You get into the scriptures, you're devoted to them. You get into prayer, you're devoted to it. You get into the church, you're devoted to it, small groups and large groups. And you take the Lord's Supper together. Um, And as you do that, you know what those four things do for you? All four of those things bring you into the presence of God. And in his presence is fullness of joy. And at his right hand there are pleasures forevermore. So as you, you do those four things, you're constantly in Christ, growing in Christ, filled with joy, you're fully satisfied. One of my favorite verses in, in Romans chapter uh, uh, 11, 10, it says, and everyone who trusts in him is not disappointed. You know, I've never met a genuine believer that was disappointed. Never. We don't get disappointed in Christ. Uh, the more you get to him, there's just, there's just, I mean, how would you like to live a life of no regret? No regret at all since my days in Christ. It's never disappointing growing in Christ. So I encourage you, you know, um, well, I kind of got away from the history of my life. But anyway, after getting saved in 74, um, I knew I needed more of Christ in his word, and I didn't know how to go about it. I had already been accepted at uh, several colleges, was planning to go, and I got a piece of literature in the mail uh, that said, uh, from a, a school I didn't know existed, had no idea, don't know what it was about, 
uh, but it was Covenant College, and I got this little brochure from Covenant College that says, Christ preeminent in all things. And the Spirit just convicted me with that motto. I was like, whoa, that's what you need, David. You need Christ to be first, foremost in everything in your life. So I checked out to see if they had a business major because I was going to major in business, and they did. And so I took off to Covenant College because I wanted Christ preeminent in all things. And it was there that God took me from that shallow Christianity I had grown up in to understanding the theological depth, to understanding a biblical world view about everything. And as I began to grow in that, uh, it was there that I also met this wonderful business administration major that became my lovely wife of 38 years. And I figured, you know, if she's going to major in business, I could major in something else and we'd get two things going on, you know. So I, I switched my business major halfway through and finished up in biblical studies. Uh, and she, she became the business, business mind. But anyway, we left there, and then I went on to Reform Seminary in Jackson, Mississippi for my master's, and then to uh, Fuller Seminary in Pasadena, California for my doctorate. From there, we were, our first church was in King Street, South Carolina. This is a short story. We were down there five years, and this is my only other church. Down in King Street, God did great things. It's an economically depressed part of South Carolina. But God doubled the attendance of the church there, built a new facility debt-free, and God says, now I want you to come to Anderson and lead here. And this is where God has us. This is where God's planted us, South Carolina, all of our life. Um, and we've seen God's people and God's church grow over and over and over. So that's the story. That's the story I commend. You begin to see God at work. What can God do through someone who believes God is his only good? God is his only hope. God is his only direction. Someone who stays in the word day in and day out. It's been my commitment since I was saved, but not as thoroughly. I didn't know how to read the Bible. But after we got married, I determined, and as I became a pastor, says, it's going to be my goal to read through the Bible every year, which I've been able to do now by God's grace for the last 38 years, go all the way through. Keep reading it. Keep meditating upon it. Keep praying. We do that as a couple. We've done that as our kids were growing up. It's always have time where you're reading the Bible. You're praying so that they see that the, the, the love of your life is God. They see your passion is worship and praise. Your, your direction is always, what does God say? Where is God taking you? Um, no matter the controversy, no matter how great or how small, get back to the Bible. Get back to depending upon the Lord alone. Uh, worship Him. Uh, take all the means of grace that God provides. Uh, all praise to God. Well, where are you at in all of that? I, I gave you three or four scriptures there just to think about. Whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That was me. I called upon the name of the Lord and God changed me. Psalm 34, taste and see the Lord is good. How blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Taste and see, this is, this is a good thing. If you've not had this experience, check it out. Everyone is blessed who trusts in the Lord. 
But then John 1.12, as many as receive him, to them he gave the right, the ability, the power to be a son of God, to believe, to receive, to live life in his name. That's my desire for you. If there's anyone here that needs Christ, say, man, I, I need that story to be, I need that authenticity in my life. Come, come, come seek me out. Be my joy to pray with you, lead you, help you understand how to have that life in Christ. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word, your truth. Thank you for letting us see what life's really about. Why? Why are we here on this earth if it's not to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent? Father, let us know you, let us live you, let us love you. Continue to grow and build your church, your treasure here on earth. And Father, we look forward to being with you for all eternity in glory. Father, continue to make us a church of faith, faith in Christ, Christ alone. Thank you for your grace and your mercy to this sinner. And Lord, thank you for every time you save a sinner and that sinner becomes a servant and spends their life serving and worshiping and praising you. We ask all these things, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.